Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh. And he said to them, Go, go serve the Lord your God. Oh, who are the ones who are going? And Moses said, We will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and our daughters, for we would celebrate a festival before the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as Julia has just sung, great is the Lord Jehovah. And because You are, we will go with our young and our old, our sons and our daughters. Teach us how. In Jesus' name, Amen. Last Sabbath, after the sermon, my friend Edwin Hernandez sent me an email. Edwin is a member of the faculty at Notre Dame University. He's a member of our church. Here's the email. Quick line. Hi, Dwight. Thanks for the sermon today. I was glad to see you quoting the work of Christian Smith, sociologist, Notre Dame, as we did last week. I would, love to bring, I would love to bring him to campus one of these days. I know him and serve as an affiliated faculty at his center, the Center for the Study of Religion and Society, Notre Dame. I wanted to make you aware that he has a new book coming out that chronicles the ongoing religious experience of the youth he's been following over the last 10 years. It promises to be another landmark contribution to the study of youth and religion. By the way, he is a committed Christian. Blessings, Edwin. At the bottom of his email is a press release from Notre Dame. The book just came out three weeks ago. Let me read just a, pull a couple lines from the press release. Title of the book, Lost in Transition, The Dark Side of Emerging Adulthood. This is Souls in Transition. We'll get to this book in a moment. But this, the, the sequel is Lost in Transition, Life for Emerging Adults. Those are Americans between the ages of 18 and 23. They no longer refer to them as uh, young adults. The study classifies them as emerging adults. Life for emerging adults is vastly different today than it was for their counterparts even a generation ago. This is the press release. Young people are waiting longer to marry. That's true. To have children. That's true. And to choose a career direction. As a result, they enjoy more freedom, opportunities, and personal growth than ever before. But the transition to adulthood is also more complex, disjointed, and confusing. Now listen. Smith identifies five major problems facing very many young people today. One, confused moral reasoning. Two, routine intoxication. Three, materialistic life goals. Four, regrettable sexual experiences. And five, disengagement from civic and political life. The trouble does not lie only with the emerging adults or their poor individual decisions, but has much deeper roots in mainstream American culture, a culture which emerging adults have largely inherited rather than created. All right, one more line. Older adults, Smith argues, must recognize that much of the responsibility for the pain and the confusion young people face lies with them, lies with us. All right? 
Now, why bother talking about Christian Smith again at all? Because in a few hours, this university is going to be filled to the max with emerging adults, 18 to 23 years of age. And that's why in a moment we'll turn back to Christian Smith. A fascinating, by the way, a fascinating piece of research he calls religious capital. And we'll note that in a moment. But that, that, that religious capital turns out to be a key concept if we take seriously what Moses just declared to that wily King Pharaoh. Let me put Moses' words on the screen again for you. We just read it from Exodus chapter 10, verse 9. Speaking to Pharaoh, Moses, we will go with our young and our old with our sons and our daughters, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. We will go with our young. But the question we've been asking is, but how? A little two-part mini-series, last Sabbath and this, before the new year begins. Life lessons from Alaska. Last week was life lessons from Alaska. Number one, for the kingdom of heaven is like unto a piper super cub. And what was the lesson? Follow the leader. Today is life lesson number two of guns and grizzlies and an ATV. What's the life lesson today? Simple. Follow the whisperer. Follow the whisperer. Open your Bible with me to that line our worship team skillfully wove through their presentation this morning. I was so proud of them. They're young musicians from Andrews Academy. Thank you, Pastor Michael, for coaching them. Well done. Very well done. Open your Bible to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's just one line. You need to track it in the pew Bible in front of you or behind you. If you don't have a pew Bible in front of you, you can reach underneath. If you're on the front row there, you've got it. Isaiah chapter 30. If you have the pew Bible, it will be page 479. All right. Isaiah chapter 30. One line for our, for our contemplation. On this cusp of a new year. Hasn't begun yet. No, no, no. Students aren't all here yet. No, no. Some of the emerging adults are already among us. Good on you. We're delighted to have you. You're listening in on a conversation just before the school year begins. All right. This is Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. I'm in the New King James, which is the uh, translation of the Pew Bible. God speaking. Your ears shall hear a word behind you. Now, the Hebrew literally reads, from back. From back. When that mantled stranger turned to Mr. Lot, Mrs. Lot, and the two girls, he he used this word. He says, do not look back. All right? Your ears shall hear a word from back of you, from behind you, saying, this is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. What's fascinating about the Hebrew word for word, dabar, is that some translations also translate it whisper. I'm going to share this with you. Put it on the screen. This is Job chapter 27, verse 14. How small, the Hebrew word there is whisper. How small a whisper, the Hebrew word there is word, dabar. How small a whisper we hear of him. So that we could actually read this text. Your ears shall hear a whisper behind you. Because when somebody comes up behind you to say a word up close and in your ear, they're not going to be a stranger, are they? Are you kidding? Only friends, only someone you are intimate with will you allow to whisper in your ear. Isn't that true? When we're in a crowded room and Karen wants to come and give me some uh, bit of counsel, she'll just come up behind me. 
and just whisper. I, I love to hear her whispers. Just the warm breath on my neck. It's a wonderful experience. <laughs> if you know who's giving it. You want to try this sometime. The next time you're in the security line at the airport, pick a big burly guy about four up from you and tiptoe up behind him and just whisper in his ear, how far to the Why? Because we don't want anybody, not just anybody gets to whisper in my ear. Isn't that right? The only people you allow are people who are close to you. Your mother, your sister, your wife or girlfriend and no more. Which means that the voice in this divine promise apparently belongs to somebody who is very close to us. So who is this whisperer? I went on Google. I said, show me Google. Show me all the whisperers. And I found out that there are horse whisperers. You heard about the horse whisperers, haven't you? There are dog whisperers. And I found out on Google there's a chicken whisperer. Now, what you whisper to a chicken, I have no idea. The definition of a whisperer, as you know, whisperers are trainers who are able to tame or control animals, especially by talking to them in quiet and gentle tones. So who is it that comes to tame the human spirit by talking to us in quiet and gentle tones? Who's the human whisperer? You already know the answer, don't you? The whisperer of heaven, put it on the screen please, is the Holy Spirit, of course. He's the Spirit. He knows us intimately he gets by with the whisper. And by the way, according to the New Testament, it works the same way as it's described here in the Old Testament. Let me read the Old Testament, and then we'll take a look at the New Testament. Here's the Old Testament again. This is verse 21, Isaiah 30. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. Same way, New Testament. Let me just run some lines by you. We don't have a study guide today, so just lock these Lock these in your heart. I love this promise of Jesus. Luke 12, verse 11. Now, Jesus says, when they bring you to the synagogues and the magistrates and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit, I love this. For the, it's one of my favorite promises for the Holy Spirit, by the way. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you are to say. Now, let me put it from the New Living Translation because I've scribbled these words in all my Bibles so, I, so that I have it from the New Living. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said as you are standing there. Isn't that great? He's the whisperer. He comes right up in your ear. Psst. Jesus on the eve of His crucifixion. This is John chapter 16. Upper room, however, Jesus teaching us about the whisperer. When He, the whisperer, the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. Who will He talk about? But whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will tell you things to come. And I love the next verse. Watch this. He will glorify Me. That's the divine whisperer always speaks of Jesus. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine, Jesus says, and He will declare it to you. That's how it works. And by the way, sometimes it's not just a little whisper. Sometimes it's a groan. Watch this. Romans chapter 8. Put that on the screen, please. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Sometimes we have no clue what to be praying in this predicament. What should I be asking for? The Spirit comes in and begins to whisper, Hey, boy, this is what I need you to pray for. Pray it this way. So, the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings. 
He's in this. He's groaning. The whisperer, groanings which cannot be uttered. And look at the next verse. He, that's the Father, who searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit speaks the language of heaven. And He says, here, Father, this is what this boy is wanting. This is what this girl is asking for. Take my word for it. Wow. Does it really work that way? Apparently it does in the New Testament. You remember the day of Pentecost? You remember the day of Pentecost? Boom! Upper room, 120 people filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? And this explosion creates such a stir that Jerusalem crowds into the alleyways. Now, Peter comes out and sees this crowd. How much preparation did Peter have to get ready to preach? No nope at all. He has no notes. He's never preached a sermon in his life. No footnotes can he add. No text can he quote. Nothing. He simply walks out onto that portico. I've been in that upper room in Jerusalem. It is above the alleyway. And a crowd could gather. And he begins to preach. What's happening in Acts 2? The whisperer saying, Hey, Pete, 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 Pete. Here's the next verse. Peter, here's the next verse. Tell him this. Tell him about the crucified. Tell him about David. Make the appeal now, Peter. Repent and be baptized, all of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Perfect. You got it. That's what's happening. Peter has no notes. He, has no, he, can't, he can't Google something, get a quick little sermonette together. It happens on the spot. Luke, Luke 12, verses 11 and, 11 and 12. I love it when they're having prayer meeting in the uh, New Testament. The book of Acts describes multiple prayer meetings. I wish you'd just take a look at this one over in Acts 13. This is something else. I'm not going to put the words on the screen, but I need you to see that this is actually happening at a prayer meeting. This is Acts 13. Isn't this something? They're all in, in, in this prayer meeting. Verses 1 and 2. They're having this big prayer meeting. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit begins, the, the whisperer begins to, his whisper is heard by more than one. He begins to whisper. He begins to whisper instructions. What are the instructions? Verse 2, he says, I want you to take Paul and Barnabas. You see these two men over here in prayer? I want you to pull them out. They're going to work for me now in a special way. They're both being called to be missionaries. Take them out. The whole prayer meeting hears the whisper. They say, okay. They have prayer and fasting over them. They go. Isn't that amazing? At prayer meeting, the whisperer loves to show up. By the way, we're beginning a brand new season of prayer meeting this Wednesday night. And he's going to love to show up. You hear Pastor Michael say during the announcements, I love this. This is the first time in history, I know it is, that every public venue for worship in Andrews University, we're talking dorm worships, we're talking co-ed worships, we're talking chapels, we're talking prayer meeting, house of prayer, we're talking Sabbath morning in worship here. Every worship venue on campus this year will be concentrating on five books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. The first five books of the New Testament. I love it. Japheth, Chaplain Jay has coordinated this. Wednesday night, House of Prayer. We get the book of Matthew. We're going to start the book of Matthew. And I've got three young preacher teachers who are going to be up front every, taking turns every Wednesday night. Do you know the four of our senior leaders on our staff now are 31 and 30 years of age? Four of them on our senior staff are 30 and 31 years of age. I promise you we would lower the median age here and we have done it. Four of our senior leaders are 30 and 31. Three of them are going to be teaching. 15-minute teaching. Every house of prayer. The rest of the time is praying. I hope you'll come Wednesday night. Right here. Gospel of Matthew. We'll do John. By the way, next Sabbath, brand new series, The Last Word. 
The fourth gospel for a final generation. The last word. We begin next Sabbath together. Look forward to seeing you then. So that's how it works. Oh, but there's one more I want you to see. You've got to see this. This is Acts. We were just 13. Take a look at Acts 16. In fact, we'll just put it on the screen. We'll read it right off the screen. Acts 16. So Paul and Silas and Timothy and Dr. Luke, the physician and, and the team, they're trying to do some new advanced mission work for God. And when, this is verse 6 of Acts 16, and when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden. Whoa, the whisperer can also say no. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. So, after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them to go there either. He's saying, guys, you're going the wrong way, wrong way. Go west, go west. They go to Troas. Vision come into Macedonia. And God sends the gospel to Europe. And because he did, a whole lot of us are here today. Nope, 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 nope. Yes. The whisperer. That's how it works. Sometimes he rumbles. Sometimes he whispers. But he gets our attention. That's how it works. And you're saying, but Dwight, how does this forbid thing? I mean, it says he, forbid, he forbid them. He wouldn't permit them. I'll tell you how it works. It's very simple. You already know this, but I'll remind you. This inner ear that Isaiah describes, you'll hear a voice in your ear. This inner ear is actually called the conscience. It's our God-given intellectual capacity to hear and recognize the voice of God. It's a conscience. It's not in the ear. It's in the brain. It's in the heart. It's the intellectual capacity. So, here's how it works. He speaks. This is the way. Hey, boy. No, no, no. This is the way. Oh, don't go that way. No, no, no. This is the way. He speaks. I follow. That's how it works. My conscience works that way. And by the way, if I, what, if I, what if I want to say, hey, Dwight, what if I want to say, you know what? I don't want to follow this voice. You may. God has created you and me with such a, such a capacity for creaturely, creaturely freedom. We can, say no to, we can say no to the whisperer. No, 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 no. But, have you found this? Have you found this? When you say no to the whisperer, instantly that intellectual capacity called the conscience begins like a flashing red light. Bing, 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 bing. You try to ignore it. Bing, 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 bing. What's going on? No, 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 you're going the wrong way. Get off, get off, get off. Come back, 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 back. That's what will happen. Because that's the way it operates. The voice behind you. You have the freedom. But that voice warns. By the way, I've been following this, this week, just this very week, the tobacco companies in America. Isn't that amazing? These tobacco companies, the government voted some, uh, uh, within the last year that cigarette packs now have to carry graphic pictures on them of the effect of cancer on the human being. The tobacco companies have finally found their voice. And do you think they're in favor of that or against it? They're very against it. Here are some sample pictures that we found. So this is what's going to go on. You're going to have the brand, whatever the cigarette brand is. You have a mouth decimated by cancer. You have lungs that are destroyed. You have a, you have a trachea, a throat ravaged by cancer. If I were a tobacco executive, I wouldn't want these pictures on my cigarettes either, would you? Why? Because they work. They work. If they didn't work, they wouldn't say a word. Warnings work. And that's why the Bible carries warnings about saying no to the whisperer. You need to know you're going down a dangerous path. Let me run some warnings by you. Very graphic language, by the way. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. 
Paul writes, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't make Him sad. Don't say no to Him. He knows what He's talking about. Don't say no to Him. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let's, see, let's look at another one. Acts chapter 7. This is Stephen in his defense against the Sanhedrin, before the Sanhedrin. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, and where else? Ears. Because that's where you hear the whisperer. You're saying no to what you're hearing. I know you are. You stiff-necked ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. You can say no, but you're going to hear it right here, a voice behind you. Let's, let's, let's uh, put up First uh, Timothy 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, at the end of time, guess what's going to be happening to human conscience? Watch this. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now notice this. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. You ever put a hot iron, just a really hot iron down on a shirt that shouldn't have been ironed by a hot iron? Ooh. Big, brown, imprint. That's what it means to be seared by a hot iron. That's what we do to our conscience. Supple, pliable, stiff ashes. Yeah. You, you can say no too many times. Which is why these all caps warnings Jesus spoke of with the most, somber, the most somber pronouncement He makes anywhere in the Gospels. This is from the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 3, verse 28. Truly I tell you, Amen, I tell you in the Greek. People can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. And so Christian communities have called it the unpardonable sin. Hey, listen, guys. Hold on, hold on. It's not that God says, oh, I'm so sick and tired of forgiving Dwight. He keeps repeating that dumb sin. I'm not going to forgive him anymore. No, 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 no. That's not what's happening. It's just that I have said no to God so many times that he finally takes no for an answer. All right? You want me out of your life? Is that what you're telling me? Yes, sir. I'm out. And I'm not coming back. Because you don't want me back. Now, people come to me and they say, Oh, Dwight, I think I've, I've committed the unpardonable sin. You wouldn't be talking to me if you committed the unpardonable sin. You wouldn't even be thinking about the pardonable sin if you committed the unpardonable sin. So get off that. If you have a heart, you have a conscience, it's alive. But Jesus, this is the stiffest warning He can put on that pack. This is what happens if you keep saying no. Whoa. Which is why in a wild and dangerous terrain like this world, like Alaska, it is a terrible fate to have the divine whisperer take your word for it and leave you alone. Leave you alone. Warning, Jesus says, for the sake of your safety, for the sake of your salvation, you must follow the whisperer. You must, you must, you must. When you hear a voice behind you, obey Him. Or you're in deep trouble. I learned that in Alaska. This is my second life lesson. And we won't talk about Alaska anymore. I learned that driving an ATV. Do you know what an ATV is? Heaven and Earth invented the ATVs. These are wonderful inventions. 
all-terrain vehicle. I wish I could say I had my own. I wish I could say I was riding on my own up there, but actually it was loaned to me by an Alaskan friend of mine, his name, Ivan Gillen. I've come to find out that I dedicated Ivan's baby right here when he was a student at Andrews University. And now he's in Alaska. But the reason, because I'd, I'd gone around to these guys and I said, man, I sure would love to have an ATV. Just let me just ride around for a while. So the word spread among the uh, other 98 that the, 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 the pastor wants an ATV. The reason they brought the particular ATV to me that you'll see in just a moment was because of two unique features on this ATV. Number one, it was the most powerful ATV on site, bar none. Because when you have a rookie driver, you need all the power in the world for those steep hills because you, you, he, he has no clue about nuancing and he'll tip the, he'll tip the uh, ATV over. So number one, it's the most powerful. And number two, it came with a very unique seating arrangement. Have you noticed that both lessons from Alaska have to do with seating arrangements? The Piper Cub, the seating, you know, the pilot in the front. And God is trying to obviously teach me something, and it has to do with where you sit. So, they drive up. They say, okay, Dwight, we're all going together now. Come on. Here drives up. It had just been purchased before the men's retreat. Ivan had purchased it. This Can-Am Outlander, beautiful yellow ATV. Put it on the screen. Whoa. Isn't that something? Take a look at that. Now, this is after our trip. All that mud on there. But I want you to notice the unique seating arrangement. They wouldn't let me on any other ATV because on this one, the skilled owner driver sits directly behind the rookie. (laughs) And they knew I would never face any obstacle or any challenge without him right there whispering in my ear how to negotiate what is directly in front of me. So they said, hey boys, make sure he has the one with the owner right behind him. So off we went. Oh, it was fun. Let me just show you a few pictures and then a video clip. Okay, what's the next picture? Isn't that a great shot? That's Caribou Creek where we, where we had the retreat. That's one of the ATVs looking off to the mountains. Beautiful, beautiful. Next picture, please. Yep, there they all are. We're, we're, we're moving up to a mountain meadow. We're going to have to go up high and mud and everything else to get to this mountain meadow. Beautiful at the, at the top. All right, next, please. Oh, mud. And that, you can't tell how deep that is by looking at it. That's what you have to go through in the Alaskan wilderness. Next picture, please. Ah, oh, but the meadow. Look at those blossoms just everywhere the eye turned. Next picture will show if you turn this way. You see the peaks above the meadow. By the way, we saw caribou walking the edge of those peaks. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, one more picture before the video. I want you to see these guys. These were the ones who went in front. These guys were, were uh, excited to have some kind of uh, greenhorn show up and want to ride one of these. So, they're all from Alaska. That, that's Leo Doucette. He's the packing the heat, by the way. He's the driver. He's the dad. His son is the youngest one there, Josh Doucette. And uh, that's Sid Koto, uh, a uh, a college student that uh, lives, in, lives in Alaska. These guys are all from Valdez. All right? So they wanted to document this. They just could not believe that I would survive this. I think that's what it was. And so they mounted a little camera on the front of the ATV that I'm driving with the real driver sitting right behind me giving me orders through his whispers. All right? Let's, uh, let's run that clip for just a few seconds here. And I want full volume to get the effect. Oh, I want more volume than that. A little more volume. Yeah, oh, that's much better now. That's what it's like to ride an ATV. Now, I have no idea where I'm going or what I'm doing. But 
he will, you will notice him giving instructions every now and then. By the way, if you see a little black piece fly through the air, that's mud being chewed up by the uh, four-wheel drive. So you just drive. Whoa, we must, be in, we must be in the mud now. Careful, careful. You notice I'm not smiling at all. All right, now I'm listening, though. I don't know where I'm going. There are people all around us. But I'm waiting to hear the whisperer, who has to yell in this case, tell me what to do. Okay, so just keep going here. Yeah, yeah. Go this way. Should I go over there? No, 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 no. Oh, he's tapping me on the back. He's tapping me on the back. Say, no, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Go, 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 go. No, 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 no. Over there, over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That way, that way. Come on, boy. Go that way. All right, okay, okay. I can follow orders usually. So we go that way. Then we go over this way. Now we got major mud coming up. And I'm thinking, oh boy, oh, there are guys stuck in the mud. He sent me the right way. Oh, no, no, Dwight, now no, the other way. Go the other way. So you turn the other way. That's how you do it with this special seating arrangement. He makes all the decisions. You just drive the life. Oh, yeah, get over there, Dwight. Come on, get out of here quick. Okay, that's enough of that. But that's how it works. The whisperer is sitting shotgun right behind you. He sees what you cannot see. You're so concentrated on what's right in front of you. Can I go through this? Can, can I go up this hill? And he would say, hey, Dwight, 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 about hills. I notice you're going, mm, 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 mm. don't do that. Just, just set your accelerator. Set it at a good pace. When you get to that hill, you're going to feel like it's going to flip over. But don't. Just keep going. This is the most powerful ATV we have. It will carry you all the way to the top. Once I learn that, psh, no fear. I'm not afraid. You know why? Because the guy behind me has been over this path. He knows how it works. Hey, Dwight, they're all going that way. Trust me. Wrong. Go this way. I, instead of following the crowd, I follow the whisperer behind me. Sometimes the crowd is wrong. Sometimes you're getting the wrong, you're getting the wrong commands. You have to be listening to the whisperer who owns the vehicle, who cares the most for you because he doesn't want his vehicle to be damaged. That's how it works. He made, it look like, he made me look like a pro. It wasn't me. It was my guide whispering in my ear. But guess what? I was never afraid once. Steepest hill, deepest mud. Hey, why? Because behind me, the guide sits. And he wouldn't steer me wrong. Oh, come on, do I, do I have to do what he tells me to do? No, you don't have to do it. But you'd be a fool not to. Listen, let me put it on the screen. A little auxiliary lesson. Never say no to the one who knows. When the whisperer comes up behind you and he says, Yo, you don't want to go down that path. I know it looks alluring. No, 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 no. When he says no, you say yes. You're right. What did we just read here in Isaiah? Go back to Isaiah 30. Put it on the screen. Isaiah 30. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand, no, 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 no. Get back, get back. Whenever you turn to the left, no, 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 no. This is the way I'm talking about. This is the way. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand that the divine whisperer is always on your side? Do you understand that? He's never against you. He is never against you. And I'm going to say something to you right now that will not make me blush. Watch my face. I'm not going to blush. I have come to love the third person of the Godhead. 
I talk to Him through the day. I talk to Him every single day. When I'm having worship, I talk to Him. I talk to Jesus. I talk to the Father. But I also talk to the Holy Spirit because He's the closest friend I have. He is always sitting shotgun in my life. And by the way, while He's sitting shotgun in my life, this is how skilled He is. He's sitting shotgun in your life too. The entire human race. He's always on our side. If the red light starts flashing, trust me, don't go. There's a bog at the bottom of that hill and you're dead meat. Stay listening, obeying the voice of the whisperer who keeps saying, no, 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 girl, this is the way. Stay right here. That's how close a friend he is to me and you. He's been at this all our lives and we never even knew it was His voice. All our lives He's been whispering and we didn't know it was He. Wow. You know what? That's what I wish every student at this university. That's what I wish every faculty and staff member at this university. That's what I wish every community member in this congregation. That's what I wish all of us would embrace and grasp. The truth about the whisperer. Follow. Follow the whisperer. And you'll be fine this new year. You'll be fine. You will live the most fulfilling life you have ever lived. Follow. Follow the whisperer. Now, what's that got to do with Christian Smith? Let me end with this. Christian Smith, I'll put the book up for those of you who weren't here uh, last week, a little two-parter. Christian Smith wrote this book, Souls in Transition. His newest book is Lost in Transition. This is not the newest one that came out three weeks ago. This is Souls in Transition. Christian Smith, as I already mentioned, a longitudinal study of 3,290 teenagers ages 13 to 17. He's been tracking them for 10 years. They are now 18 to 23. The research is coming out. This is the book right here. He doesn't call them young adults. The language is emerging adults. 18 to 23, that's what people's Andrews University. It's been a very, very insightful read for me. Last week, by the way, I shared with you how he's discovered that for these emerging adults, it is absolutely critical that they have what he calls supportive, religious, non-parental adults. They need supportive, religious, non-parental. The key is non-parental. Now, thank God for their parents. But the key is non-parental because they need somebody outside of their family circle also showing an interest, also providing, riding shotgun in their lives. You are a non-parental adult and you make a huge difference. Last week we found out that even if they come from a home where the parents are totally in deficit when it comes to spirituality and strength, they can come from a non-religious home, but if they come to Andrews University and a non-parental, supportive, religious adult latches on them and takes an interest in them, they can actually become highly religious emerging adults because of the non-parental adult attached. Fascinating. But for what I want to leave you here, leave with you here is a final piece from his research that I found uh, intriguing. It's what he calls conserving accumulated religious capital. Let's put it on the screen. You don't have a study guide, but you can follow along. Another relevant mechanism. He's talking about enabling teens to hang on to religion as they become emerging adults. Another relevant mechanism for that is the tendency toward, and here he goes, conserving accumulated religious capital. And as with other things generally, the more one practices religion, the more rewarding it becomes. Look, you want to be shooting hoops? You want to get good at basketball every night in front of that crazy rim? Every night. But the more you do it, the better you become. The better you become, the more you enjoy it. Isn't that how it works? Of course. 
Playing a musical instrument, the same way. It's that way with religion. And as with other things, generally, read it again, the more one practices religion, the more rewarding it becomes. So the more one prays, the more one has an opportunity, for instance, to see prayers answered or to be comforted by praying. The more one reads Scripture, the more one is likely to understand Scripture. The more the faith itself becomes meaningful. The more opportunities one has to find passages that are helpful and applicable to one's life. And the more one understands what the faith calls one to and why it does. In other words, here's a summation, the more one practices religion generally, the more capacity one builds up to benefit in various ways from belonging to and living out the faith. Some social scientists call this increased capacity and enjoyment religious capital. Now, what is Christian Smith talking about? The sociologist down here at Notre Dame. Here's what he's talking about. It's like running. I enjoy running. Yep. And the more you do running, the less likely you are to quit running. And the reason I personally don't quit running is because I'm enjoying the capital it's building up. I just love the idea of not having a pot belly and having blood pressure that's low. I just love that thought. So because the capital is accruing... And I'm just trying to stand up straight now. Because the capital is, is accruing, you can't talk me out. You can't, hey, Dwight, come on, sleep in in the mornings. Forget running. Who needs exercise? Man, you don't need it. No, I now know because I've done it long enough that it's capital accumulated, and I don't want to lose the capital. I want to keep accruing that capital. That, Christian Smith, is, what's hap- says, is what happens when a person prays. The more I pray, the more I realize, wow, God hears my prayers. God answers my prayers. The closer I feel to Jesus. The more I read Scripture, the more my eyes open to reality about myself. I'm just drawn into this. What he's saying is when our teens come, now see, they've been teens. Now they're going to be emerging adults. He says when they come, we've got to find a way to affirm the capital they've already built up as teenagers. Wow. They put another... So he says... These, they don't want to squander. They, want, they don't want to waste their capital. One more quotation from Christian Smith. Most people prefer to benefit from rather than to waste the various forms of capital they've gained through effort, all else being equal. Yep, just like running. Okay, keep going. So emerging adults, that read Andrews University age undergrads. Emerging adults who through committed religious practices during their teenage years before they got here have accumulated such religious capital, they will be more likely than those with less of that capital to capitalize on it by continuing strongly in the faith in which that capital is able to realize payoff. That's a lot of research language there, but hang on. And to those, now listen, who as teenagers prayed and read Scripture a lot, they are more likely to tend to stick with the serious practice of their faith when they are older, end quote. I'm telling you what, ladies and gentlemen, two profound implications for church and school from what we just read. Implication number one, if we can help our young Pastor Michael to develop the practice of daily prayer and Bible reading, Smith's point is obvious they are much more likely to continue those practices when they become emerging adults and come to Andrews University. We've got to get them in the teenage bracket. In fact, research now shows that if we can get them from 6 to 12, we're on the winningest streak we can be. You've got to begin to develop that capital early. That's implication number one. Here's implication number two for this university and this university congregation. 
it is imperative that we teach and provide significant reinforcement of the religious capital our students have already accumulated. In other words, we must be constantly reaffirming to them the immense personal and spiritual value of time alone with the whisperer. They have to be reaffirmed again and again. I know what, it sounds like a broken record, but now I realize the research, the research is corroborating it. When you as a teacher, all right, there are many teachers here, when you as an employer, many employers here, when you as a dean, when you as a Sabbath school teacher, when you as a Pathfinder leader, when you continually affirm your students' religious capital, when you keep telling you the classes that you teach, by the way, I was praying the other day, I was reading Scripture, having my morning worship. When you say that, you are declaring to the young who sit before you, this is immensely valuable to me. And you are affirming everybody in the room who's already learned that. Now you're saying, stay on it. You're not making any speech, but you're, you're modeling. Stay on it. This gets even better. Keep running, Dwight. You're only running three miles. Oh, you're going you're to get up to ten. You're going to do a marathon. Keep running. See, so experienced runners help Rookies, ah, someday. That's what you're doing when you talk about your religious practices. You're praying and you're reading a scripture. You are following what it means to, put it on the screen please, follow the whisperer. You're telling them, this matters. You've got to follow the whisperer. I want to end with a classic line from Desire of Ages about this whisperer and following him. You remember these words. I put it on the screen for you. We must individually hear him, the whisperer, Speaking to the heart. Now here comes that line, well known from those who have read Desire of Ages. When every other voice is hushed, and in quietness we wait before Him, the silence of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. You know what that means? Yo! Turn it off. Turn that radio off. Turn your iPod off. Turn that TV off. Turn that conversation off. Get rid of that noise. The silence of the soul enables us to hear the whisperer. Because I remind you, there are two voices competing for your interest. Whether you're an adult or an emerging adult, a teenager or just a child, there are two voices competing for your interest. You've got to be able to distinguish the whisperer's voice. Because when you have his voice in your mind, you shut the other voice out. You know immediately from whence cometh that voice. We were having prayer before we came out here. And Katrina Blue was praying. She didn't even know what I was going to be preaching on. But she mentioned this thought. Sometimes it's your own voice you're hearing. But it's not the right voice. You need to hear the whisperer. The silence of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. Then that quotation goes on from Psalm 46. God bids us be still and know that I am God. Shh, 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 shh. Quiet. I want you to hear me. Well, if you have to cry, you can. It's not that. Shh. And then the quotation, this is beautiful. Here alone can true rest be found. 
Amid the hurrying throng and the strain of life's intense activities, the soul that is thus refreshed will be surrounded with an atmosphere of light and peace. Talking about accumulated religious capital, you just read it. The life will breathe out fragrance and will reveal a divine power that will reach people's hearts. End quote. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. The silence of the soul will make more distinct the voice of God. Be still and know I'm the whisperer. I'm here for today. Shh. I speak. You listen. Give them 20 minutes in the morning. 20 minutes with the Gospels. 20 minutes of silence. You won't be left on wild and dangerous terrain alone. What's the, what's the life lesson? Follow the whisper. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. That's it. Isn't he amazing, this God? Look, look, isn't he amazing, this God that we follow? Think about this. The Father goes before us. The Spirit comes behind us. And the Savior walks beside us. I tell you what, it doesn't get any better than that, does it? Before, behind, beside. God's all around us. All around us. So for the life of me, I can't think of one reason why this new year not yet begun, we ought to choose to follow them the whole year through. What do you say? Amen.